Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Hope your life is going pretty good. Um, we're chugging along, getting ready for the summer in, like, I get, this is May. And so, yeah, my kids get out of school at the end of May, and so it's just a weird transition. I'm sure a lot of you are in that boat, too. Well, today I had the pleasure of talking to Sean Flores, who was an amazing person to speak to. I mean, he was actually one of my favorite guests and my new favorite person because he was just so raw and authentic and just such goodness coming from that man. because. He has struggled, was diagnosed with OCD just last year, but really struggled and had OCD symptoms for a very long time. You'll hear his story in a minute. And within that time, he has turned his struggles into this ferocious appetite to advocate and be a face for OCD that we don't often see. As a Black man in the UK, his voice is particularly helpful as an OCD advocate because we need kids and teens to see a face that looks like them or a story that sounds like them. And the more diversity and the more brave people we have that are willing to come forward and turn their struggles. He had said something when you'll hear when I interviewed him, he said something like turning my pain into passion. I really like that sentence because he's not talking about his struggles from a decade ago. He's talking about his struggles from a year ago. And to to pivot and turn into this amazing advocate in such a short period of time says something incredible about him. So I was very excited to have him on the podcast. He'll be back on for sure because I think his story is helpful. And I think that his pace for advocating is very fast. He's doing a lot of things, did a TED Talk. He'll talk all about it, so I'll stop talking. But I hope that you find this podcast episode helpful. We do talk about some OCD themes that are sexual in nature, harm OCD, uh, suicide. And so if you have like little kids near you while you're listening to this, I would listen to this in private, but could be something very validating and normalizing for teenagers and young adults to hear directly from him because his story is not unique in the sense that so many people are struggling with these themes, but not a lot of people are brave enough to talk about them. And Sean is truly paving the way for other people to talk about all of these very common OCD themes that our kids have, that adults have, that people don't want to talk about. And so there's there's so many facets of what he's doing that's helpful as far as diversity and even his OCD themes that he talks about. So I know you're going to really enjoy this interview. And so without further ado, oh, actually, I can't say that. <laughs> I want to say thank you to NoCD for sponsoring this episode. Sorry about that. I got all excited about this interview and I want to dive right in. But NoCD is very important because they offer affordable, effective, convenient therapy available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., which is important because you'll hear about Sean's struggle to find therapy that actually helps. And NoCD is really helping bridge that gap all over the world because you know they are virtual OCD therapy and trained therapists that are at your fingertips regardless of where you live. And so you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. 
just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I will leave links in the show notes. Okay. Actually, I did want to say one more thing. (laughs) She won't be quiet. I know. This conversation reminds me that parents need to know more about OCD. And so I do want to mention also that I have a free webinar called Five Things Every Parent Raising a Child with OCD Needs to Know. This is the thing that I would tell you if you were my best friend and you called me, or if you were my brother or sister and said, I need help with my child who has OCD, what should I know? This is what I told every parent that came into my practice, and this is what I want to tell you. And so you can register at natashadaniels.com slash OCD webinar. It's free, and it's information I really feel like you should know. So now for real, without further ado, here is my conversation with Sean. Well, I want to welcome Sean to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for giving me space on your platform. I think as I was saying to you that you're doing some great work and we need more and more people who are doing the work you're doing in regards to kids, parenting, and so much more because raising a child that does have OCD and trying to help them manage their symptoms can be quite tough for a lot of parents. So I'm really grateful for the work you're doing and I know it's having some sort of meaningful impact from the people I've spoken to, the other people. I've seen you on their platforms and I've seen other people on your platform. So if anything, I should be saying thank you. Well, I appreciate the kind words, but I feel like you're doing the same thing. And through your own struggles, really taking that struggle and turning it into advocacy, which is therapeutic in and of itself, but also just so giving, I think, for people who are having their own struggles and especially a Black man in the UK. You know, I think there's like so many levels on that as far as just having that voice look the same as you. And so there are many kids out there, especially boys and especially minorities who aren't seeing their story out there. And I try to, I feel like that's part of the healing process is to normalize things for kids. And that's a huge component is, hey, that person has my story. But to say, hey, that person looks like me and has my story is so big. So I thought we could start with your story how things evolved for you. Yeah. First of all, before I start my story, you are right that there's a kid out there, there's a parent out there who's going to hopefully listen to this and they can reach out to me. My DMs are open and just know you're not alone. So my story with OCD has been a very interesting story to say the least. I'm, I'm really grateful to be in the place that I'm in right now. And I say that as a testament to hard work and recovery, but most of all, knowing that I was going to get through at some point, even when I didn't believe it, but having a therapist who changed my life. And I started off with health anxiety. So I couldn't stop obsessing with this idea that I had a sexually transmitted infection every time I went to the toilet. I'd been lied to in my previous relationships with um, individuals. And I think that set off maybe some sort of a trauma response in many ways, because I've heard people argue that OCD can be brought about as a result of trauma, the loss of control, but that's a whole nother conversation within itself. But I couldn't stop obsessing like over and over again. If I went to the toilet and it hurt a little bit, even if I was dehydrated, I knew there was logical reasons as to what was going on, but I just couldn't remove these thoughts and these ideas out of my head. So I would rush off to the sexual health clinic and I'd get tested over and over again. And even at some points, they asked me, why do you keep coming back? And I said, I don't know. Um, I would look at the results and no matter what the results showed me, it just was not good enough to quell my anxiety. Nothing was good enough. And it got really, it got so bad that at one point I ordered a same, a same day sexual health test at a private clinic, which was the equivalent of 300 pounds for me. So it was a lot of money, but 
my anxiety made me find the money some way, somehow, just to find the answers. And from that moment on, I realized I thought I was just being a diligent human being. I thought what I was doing was the right thing, but I didn't know this is what anxiety actually was. I never really could put words to what was going on. It wasn't language I grew up with. It just, I made the closest maybe I've got to understand anxiety has been worry or stress, but not anxiety in and of itself. So from that moment on, I was like, all right, Sean, let's stop doing this now. We clearly don't have anything. We need to stop obsessing. And there were times when I kept wanting to go back and get tested. And what I had to learn to do was get tested when I've engaged with someone, but learn to realize let's not do it obsessively. That fear migrated onto HIV. This, that was my newfound fear. So I hate needles. I'm not a big fan of needles, but I would forego my fear of needles just so they could take blood from me to prove I didn't have HIV. So then that happened. Then when I was working in a, an addiction clinic, there were service users who were speaking about a young man who unfortunately had taken his life as a result of alcohol addiction and being gay. And I'll never forget this, but I just remember the word suicide just kept coming up into my head and I never returned to the clinic ever again in my entire life. I went home and I just cried and I couldn't stop getting this thought out of my head. That thought left eventually as time went on. But then I would say the brain breaking moment, obviously, as we define it in the OCD community, the day your brain breaks, I had a dream. And in this dream was the back of a white guy with boxers. And as soon as I woke up and I remember, I looked at the ceiling you're gay. That was the thought that popped into my head. The anxiety that hit me was sickening. I threw up in the toilet. I couldn't stop looking all around to find how was I gay. I need to prove I was gay. There were so many different things that were happening for me. And since I'm going to be open with your audience, because I believe that my me being open is somebody else's healing, not to be too vulgar, but if I engaged in sex and I could get an erection, I would be obsessing because I, I would be like, but I'm supposed to be gay. This is not making sense. And then if I couldn't get an erection, I'd be like, oh, this means I'm gay. This means I've got erectile dysfunction. And I was going back and forth. And even in sex, I was terrified I was going to lose control and take somebody, right? And then outside of that, I would go to the sauna, steam room in my gym. I would obsess. If I could smell a guy smell, he had, he had nice aftershave, it would be, oh, we're gay. We're definitely gay. If I could admit a guy was handsome, we're gay, we're gay. It was just over and over and over and over and over again. And I was in the modeling industry at this point, Natasha. So when I was in the modeling industry, I was getting a lot of male attention and that added fuel to the absolute fire. I remember I would say to my friends, why am I getting so much male attention? And some people were like, well, you're good looking, bro. Just take it as a compliment. But I'm like, no, there's something they know about me that I don't know about myself. That's what my reasoning became. And some of my other friends, no fault of their own, I know they didn't mean this intentionally, but they would say to me, you're, you're encouraging them then for them to come on to you. So then that added new fuel to my fire. Now, the penultimate moment for me before the final was I was with one of my female friends and the, the intrusive thoughts of sexual assault popped into my head um, about rape. And I had the biggest panic attack of my entire life. I was terrified. I was going to harm my friend. And I kept asking, are you sure I haven't done anything? Are you sure I haven't done anything? She was like, Sean, you're okay. You're fine. I said, no, 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 no. To have this thought in my head, I must have done something. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And I remember I screamed at her to leave because I was terrified I was going to do something to her. I tried to sleep and then images of suicide and murder came into my head. And I was like, no, there's something wrong with me. I remember I said, I was walking up and down and around. I was like, I'm hearing voices. I must be hearing voices. But this was all my own inner narrative. But this is how you know I didn't have the 
language to articulate what was actually going on in my life. So that happened. My friend came to see me. I said, nah, I'll be all right, man. So I started seeing a psychodynamic therapist. Psychodynamic therapy for OCD, Natasha, I'll tell you now, made it a hundred times worse. That rumination was possibly the worst rumination I've actually ever had in my entire life. And I'd come back from sessions and I'd be like, why do I feel so bad? I know from therapy, it's hard work, but I felt awful. I felt horrendous. And just to give your listeners and yourself some context, just how far did my obsession come with being gay? I believed that I was gay as a result of porn. So I signed up for sex addicts. And then when I went to sex addicts, I was like, wait, I don't belong here. Nothing was giving me the answer. And I can laugh about it now because of the place that I'm in. And I'm really grateful for that. But I will turn up in this group and I'll be like, what am I doing here? I, I, I know I don't, shouldn't be here. There's something else. So one day after therapy, I started looking up thoughts. I typed in, why am I having certain thoughts, but I don't want to add to them. And OCD, obsessive, intrusive thoughts came up. And I would look around and I'd be like, I think I have OCD. But then when I went into the forum groups, that made it again a hundred times worse because it's a, it can be a really difficult place there, really and truly. It really can be a very difficult place. Then the final moment for me was I had a harm OCD pop up into my head. And I looked at a person in front of me on the bus and it was just a thought that said, fight him. Had a big breakdown, a huge breakdown. And I said to my friend, I'm going to be okay. I've been here before. I know how this feels. I'm going to be fine. I've got through it. Then it came. Suicide OCD came. Thoughts of me jumping off a bridge, images of me jumping off a bridge. Got into an Uber, cried, and I said, I couldn't do this anymore. I became super, super depressed. I looked at all my friends and I said, I no longer want to be alive. And I was depressed for the next couple of days. And I'm really lucky, again, to be in the place that I'm in. Because I was, as a result of OCD, I had lost money. I couldn't hold down a job. And I didn't realize this was all as a result of a mental illness. I just thought there was something wrong with me that I couldn't put into words. So I called up the NHS, which is a national health service over here in the UK. And I said to them, please, I need help. Can I get faster on that list? They said, we can't. So they suggested to me a book called Breakthrough from OCD. And that didn't do anything for me. I couldn't read at the time. You know, when your brain is in such a scattered place, and you're scared of everything. You, you don't absorb information. So via the Instagram algorithm, I found this woman called Emma Garrick, the anxiety whisperer, and I begged her for a phone call. Begged her. She picked up the phone call and I just started crying my eyes out. I said, what's wrong with me? I said, please, I don't want to hurt anybody. Am I a bad person? She said, Sean, you have OCD. And I said, how do you know? She said, well, I have OCD too. I said, wait, I said, I said how am I going to get better? She showed me her her kids and her husband around her. Cause she picked up the phone to me on a day when she didn't have to, it was a Saturday. She wasn't working and she arguably saved my life. And I'm here now as a result of it, that was really long winded, but I want to give you, I wanted to give you the proper context as to my story. No, I, I think it was all really helpful for so many different reasons. You know, I think just the way that OCD has this stereotype of what OCD is. And so what wasn't your thought? So that lack of education just in society, that wasn't your thought that, oh, this is classic harm OCD. This is classic sexual orientation OCD, like having these names and understanding. But how lucky are you that you connected the dots and recognized that it was OCD? I mean, how many people are not recognizing it's OCD and are still struggling? Do you know what's really funny with you saying that? I looked back at some of my old psychological service papers and I didn't read these papers properly. They believed I had symptoms of OCD a long time ago. I didn't read it properly. I, I didn't realize for the last couple of years 
I had been wrestling with OCD. I was going to the moon and back arguing with OCD, trying to prove my sexuality, prove I wasn't a rapist, prove I wasn't a murderer, prove I wasn't depressed and trying to take my life. And you're right that I'm so lucky. But one thing I have is I have an unquenchable curiosity. So I, when I couldn't, couldn't find answers, you throw me into the internet and I'll find an answer. And when I typed in, what's wrong with me? Well, like, why am I having these thoughts? And OCD popped up. I knew it. I knew it was OCD. And then for the therapist to confirm it and then to look back on the papers that believed I was suffering the symptoms of OCD, it showed me that I almost did a full circle in some ways. The services I accessed that were going to help me, I didn't get CBT, ERP, I got CBT and it didn't help me in any way, shape or form. Doing the CBT, ERP really helped me. But yes, it, I, I did a full circle, essentially. I really and truly did a full circle. Yeah, thankfully, you know, because I think sometimes it's just knowing what this is. I mean, I remember with kids, you know, on my couch in that first session of saying, oh, this is, this is OCD or, you know, harm OCD. This is common. And just, you could just see the relief on their face. Like there's a name for this. People have this. And a lot of kids get scrupulosity themes. I don't know. I feel like that's one of the initial themes and Mm. just letting them know what that is, was like 50% of the cure. It was just like, okay, well, now I just need to know how to dance with these thoughts. You know, I need to know, you know, <laughs> what do I do with that? And then how do I poke back? And and then, then the really good work comes in. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. 
I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. You're also bringing up another good point in your journey, and that is the right kind of therapy really matters. And so psychodynamic therapy made it worse. Just regular CBT didn't help. And so I think a lot of times parents are just like, and I think people in general are just like, this is going to sound horrible, but they trust the mental health system so much. You know, like if I have a heart problem, I go to a cardiologist and I figure I just, a cardiologist is a cardiologist. Like I'm trusting that you went to medical school and you know what you're doing. And I think we have the same idea with mental health is a therapist is a therapist. Like I have OCD, you're a therapist. Like I don't need to dive into like what your modalities are, how you're going to approach this. And unfortunately with OCD, that's not the case. Absolutely. And I think as in regards to modalities, you brought up something which is incredibly important that we're not also educated on the modalities. I just thought all therapy was therapy. I'll be very honest. I didn't realize there were so many different types of therapy. And as I want to go into becoming a therapist at some point, I need to figure out finance and so much more because I'm, I'm actually really and truly rebuilding my life. And for people listening, OCD tore my life apart. I, I've had to get back a lot of, I can't get time back. And that's grief within itself. I've had to tra- I had to process that. OCD was traumatic. And I'm still pulling the pieces of my life back together. And with the therapist I was dealing with, I remember when I said to my psychodynamic therapist, I said, this therapy is not helping me. I said, I believe I have OCD. And she was like, no, we want you to keep coming back. But I should have known my boundaries. And I should have said, no, I'm not coming back. You're not helping me. But I was so desperate for help so desperate for the chaos in my mind and for that inner voice to stop screaming at me that I was willing to take on anybody. I was willing to just talk to anybody. I was willing to cry to anybody that would hear me. So yeah, it's really important to understand that different modalities have massively profound effects. And I'm actually trying to go back into therapy now to process the trauma that I've been through with OCD because OCD was incredibly traumatic. And what what makes me really emotional, actually, is imagining being a kid. You've barely been able to live your life. You can't even find the answers for what are going on. You're looking at everybody around you thinking, I don't want to miss out. You're missing, you've got FOMO. There's so much going on. And then you finally get the answer for OCD. And you've got to embrace the things that are so hard in your life. I can't ever imagine what it would be that, yeah, I just couldn't imagine. And also, the more and more I tell my stories, the more and more I look back at my history of a fine-tooth comb. I had checking compulsions. I would close the door so many times. I would push the fridge so many times. I'd check the cookers off so many times. I'd close the door and be late to places because I'd go back and be like, nope, I didn't close the door. I'd get on the bus and I'd be thinking I didn't close the door. So it really took every part of my life a lot more than people can think. But yes, in regards to modalities, modalities have such a profound difference. And CBT, ERP gave me back my life. Yeah. And finding that ERP therapist can sometimes be a needle in a haystack. But I want to go back to what you just said too, is a lot of times parents will say like, this was sudden onset. You know, when I, when I'll do an assessment, they'll be like, this just came out of the blue. And sometimes that is true, but a lot of times they just didn't know what to look for because there were those signs. There were checking signs or symmetry signs or, you know, contamination issues, but it didn't really involve the parents. It wasn't debilitating enough. And so a lot of times Another part, which is kind of a tangent, is that parents get tunnel vision. And sometimes I think adults do too about their theme. And so they'll say, 
I have sexual orientation OCD or I have harm OCD. And that's all they want to know about. I, I get that a lot with parents with moral OCD. I have a course on moral OCD, which is like just more of like a deeper dive. And it really bothers me because people will just take that course. So I've tried to like put like my platform doesn't allow me to like have a prerequisite, which I wish it does. But I put like this huge like warning sign. This is just an advanced deep dive because people, I mean, themes are helpful because it's so helpful for a kid to say, oh my gosh, there's something called harm OCD because I'm worried that I'm going to harm people. And there's a name for it, which helps, you know, it's validating. But then I have parents who are like, I only need to know about moral OCD. And your story gives a really good example of how it bounced around. You know, it has many disguises, but it's all OCD. Absolutely. And I remember when I first wrote my story or last year, August, after everything I was going through, I woke up one day and I quite literally said, I, I can't swear for the sake of the podcast, but I said, I'm going to change the world. I was sick and tired of living with this fear. I was schizophrenic, BPD, bipolar. I was self-diagnosing myself and I woke up and I wrote my story. And I, I called my OCD almost like a whack-a-mole game. I knocked one down, another one came up. I've pretty much had every single theme. Every single theme, except really religious OCD, is the only one I haven't really had. But existentials had me, morals had me, meta OCDs had me, harm, sexual orientation, pretty much all of them. Emotional contamination has been one that's also a recent one that tried to pop in. And I said, All right, we're gonna get we're gonna do the exposure. And the exposure was I'm gonna put on this um hoodie that I feel that I've emotionally contaminated, and we're gonna wear it and go to sleep. And that's exactly what I did practicing that ERP lifestyle, but you are absolutely right that the themes go all over the place. And to any parents, to learn one OCD theme is amazing, but to learn many others is extraordinary because you cannot learn it in its singularity. You've got to learn it in its entirety. And that's something that's been really important for me to understand that because I knocked down one theme, there's more themes that are going to keep trying to come, but we've got the tools in the tool belt. So for parents, yes, I absolutely agree with you that they ideally they should want to learn about every single different theme. Yeah. And I know parents get nervous because they think their, their kids are going to catch a new theme. And, and your story also kind of highlights that it could be anything, you know, it could be a dream. It could be you're working somewhere and someone mentions something casually. And I know with my kids who have OCD, they know all themes and they have come to me. My 11 year old, when she was 10 came to me and she said, mom, I'm having some sexual orientation OCD. You know, and that was not her theme. She had sensory motor OCD. It was all about peeing and pee contamination. It was all all pee related and throw up emetophobia. And because she was educated on that, you know, she was able to identify what was going on. We were able to do exposures like right away and dive into that. And, you know, so I think educating our kids on these themes, even if they seem like, oh, I don't know, my child will never have that, is so helpful. And parents don't know what to do with this. And the other thing that your story is bringing up for me is how many people wind up on a psych ward because they are, they're harm to self or harm to others when it's actually OCD, which can be really scary too. And I'll give you even more of my story to get you to understand just how much I can relate to that. So last year was a really difficult year. OCD, end up in for three days in hospital with pneumonia, tore my ACL, MCL meniscus. My cousin died. My auntie died. My other auntie died. There was, my half-brother also died as well. There were so many things that were happening. But the, the event I'm referring to is mainly to do with pneumonia. So when I was in hospital, when I was extremely ill before I went to hospital, I remember I was trying to sleep and I just had this excruciating pain on the left side of my body. 
I thought it was COVID, but the pain in my body was horrible. I knew there was something wrong because I very rarely ever get ill. So I remember I went to sleep and I woke up in, in the morning with an excruciating pain in the left side of my body. I could barely breathe. Called the ambulance, the hospital, I'm sorry, the paramedics came to pick, pick me up. And I, I had gone up to 100 milligrams of sertraline because the day before that, I couldn't cope with the anxiety. I was still in the throes of OCD. I still was in the midst of OCD trying to take me, right? So I got to the hospital and the doctor said, we think, that we, we think there's just something, it could be COVID. They came back and they said, you've got pneumonia. They were shocked. They couldn't understand how I got pneumonia. So whilst I was on the ward, I had just gone up, as I said, to 100 milligrams of sertraline. So I tried to sleep. And I was having the conveyor belt thoughts or like the jackpot thoughts is the best way to describe it. Just thoughts just kept pinging, kept pinging, pinging, pinging in my head. Or it kept orbiting over and over again. And I remember I said to the doctor, I'm scared I'm going to kill someone. I said, I'm terrified I'm going to kill people. And I said to the doctor, I know I have OCD, but this feels so real. So he said, no, no, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. So I went to sleep. But obviously when you're in hospital, they keep waking you up. They keep waking you up to take your bloods, to, take, to do all sorts. That made my anxiety worse on top of that obviously the antidepressants i had just gone on and i remember when i was in the hospital that i you know when they put the iv drip there's like the machine i don't know what they call it, like an apparatus you put it on i was having a suicide thought and i started listening i started listening to the thoughts i was like oh i am suicidal so i walked over and i went to put my neck on top of it essentially for it to try to well I, my hope was that i was gonna and that's it my neck was gonna be gone and I caught myself and I was like, Sean, what are you doing? Sean, what are you doing? I just broke down and I started crying. I just absolutely broke down. OCD was everywhere for me, everywhere. And every little thing I did, OCD was present. And luckily enough now, I still have it in some places, but I think it knows at this point, God, he really does have some tools to kind of beat me. Yeah. So should... it's, it's, a, I was going to say, so it's amazing that your kids are aware of it at such a young age. That's vital. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and my son definitely has had harm OCD where, you know, I've done something stupid and I have to harm myself. And, and so educating our kids, and that's the hope. And with your work, and I want to talk about how you've turned all these struggles into advocacy because that's just remarkable, I think. But the hope is that the world, as my kids grow up, There'll be people like you, people like me, other OCD advocates that are educating so much that, yeah, when you Google things, it pops up right away. Even better than that, you know, maybe like the national health system would know like right away. There'd be education. ERP would be a part of government health care. That would be amazing. And so I think our parents would know, oh, this is symptoms of harm OCD. Because especially the themes that you're talking about, those are the ones that freak out parents the most, which I'm glad we're talking about because they'll be like, oh, I know about contamination or I know about symmetry or moral. Then their child's having, I mean, like, especially with sexual orientation, OCD, or I'm going to harm somebody. Parents will say, oh, well, you know, therapists who are not educated will say, well, you should hide the knives, you know, or you should, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, like, well, just in case we're hiding the medicine, you're like, it's, you know, clearly they've had other OCD themes, but I, I want to move into how you turned all this. Cause it seems like so recent, like your struggles were just last year. That you're already, I saw I was reading up on you and I was like, he's done TED Talks and he's like, you have really propelled yourself out there to help others in an amazing way. Yeah. And I think it makes me really emotional because I didn't think this time last year I was going to be alive. I genuinely believed that my life was over. 
I was prepared to give up on everything. I was prepared to no longer be here. I wrote suicide notes. I called a mental health charity three nights in a row telling them I'm going to take my life. I don't want to live like this anymore. And as I said, I just woke up one day and I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to get my life back. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy, but I can get my life back. And I went downstairs and I opened up the Google document and I wrote my story. And when I released it on the 15th of August, I remember typical OCD. I released a story and then it had the word rape in it. I was like, oh God, everyone's going to think I'm a rapist. I was like, oh no, no, no. That's not what I want people to think. I was like, no, please, please. And then I went, hold up, Sean. If people read your story, they're going to understand this. If they don't understand this and they choose not to understand it, that's okay. But me sharing my story will change somebody else's life. And when I released the story, Natasha, I had so many people I knew personally and people that just on my social media reach out to me and say, Sean, thank you for telling your story. I have OCD as well. And I was like, what? I thought I was the only person in the UK with OCD. People I knew had OCD. People never spoke to me about OCD. But to realize that I wasn't alone was one of the most beautiful things. And then I looked around and I thought, this story needs to be everywhere. People need to know that they're not alone. I've had hundreds of messages, Natasha, from people reaching out to me, speaking about and asking about OCD. And every time I share my story, it's about saving somebody's life out there, saving their life and letting them know that they are okay. This is OCD. And I just looked around and I thought, what could I do to be of service to this community? And I realized there's unfortunately not many black people or ever ethnic minorities speaking about it. So I thought, let me diversify this space. And it's no by no fault of its own that it's a lot of white females that actually speak about OCD. Funnily enough, there's not a lot of men that speak out about it. And I'm in awe of ev everybody's work. But I wanted to come and bring something to this space that was going to be unrivaled and something that was going to be so niche that people realize, oh, there is a black guy with OCD. Oh, there's an Asian person with OCD. Oh, there's a man with OCD. I wanted people to know that OCD is not just one, this one set look. Because when I grew up, there's a show in the UK called Obsessive Compulsive Cleaners that, that was aired on Channel 4 yeah. in 2013. And that's the only inter interpretation of OCD that we have. And I was guilty of that. My mom and I used to watch the show. My mom used to put that, we used to watch it and she said to me, this is what happens when you don't clean your house. And I think my mom's got actually got quite OCD tendencies for sure. Very anxious. But that was my only exposure of it. So I've also come from a place of deep ignorance. And it was only until I suffered with OCD that I realized, wow, this is something completely different. But my advocacy is mainly based on the idea that my pain, I had to repurpose and turn it into my passion. And I've been determined to realize that OCD was the worst thing to ever happen to me, but I am determined to be the worst thing to ever happen to OCD. And in regards to the TED talk that I gave, which I gave actually last week, Friday, actually, on um, the upcoming revolution of psychedelic treatment, how during my advocacy, I thought, I'm writing articles, I'm giving talks, but what more can I do? I need to put my mind on the line. And I decided to go and enroll in this trial run by Professor David Nutt, who is a professor into psychedelics. And there's been a lot of interest in emerging research, so as a caveat, just so people understand this, that psilocybin, the psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms, is having profound effects on OCD symptoms, but we need research to be able to show that. And when I was on that trial, I would say psilocybin drastically helped to reduce my symptoms. But what my TED talk was about was essentially looking at how we can loosen drug law and drug policy to be able to actually study these potentially new revolutionary treatments which could perhaps give people their lives back. 
Because we know quite often with the brain and neurodivergent brain with conditions such as OCD, it's sticky thinking. It could be too much glutamate, too much serotonin. We've seen the neuroimaging of the brain. So a lot of what I'm trying to do is take the information that I've got and bring it out to a wider audience beyond not only the OCD community, but the other communities I'm also a part of. And I wanted to reach a point where someone goes, I'm so OCD and someone goes, oh, nah, man. I've listened to Sean talk about OCD. That's not OCD, bro. I want it to get to that point. And I'd like to believe it's going to get there at some point and connecting with individuals such as yourself who are doing crucial, valuable work. I'm learning a lot from you and other advocates, therapists, and individuals out there because if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't have the blueprint that I've got now to do what I'm doing. Yeah, and you're doing amazing work because, I mean, from being where you were a year ago to being... A name that I recognized, you know, when you reached out to me, I was like, oh, I've been seeing a lot of this guy. And if I am seeing that, you know, then people out there are seeing your face too, which I think helps diversify the story. Because you're right, there are a lot of women OCD advocates on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. We'll say there are a lot of, no offense to anybody who is this, but there's a lot of old white men doing the research. And so there's like, you know, there's not a lot of diversity in that area too. And I love that you are recognizing that participating in these studies and, you know, and I've done that too. My son was in a PANDA study, you know, it's like being mm-hmm. able to be part of research too, to really do something to move the dial is, is so important. And, and so I thank you for that. I think that's, that's amazing. We, we need it. We need more and more ethnic minorities in trials because there's research studies that have shown that all across the Western world. Ethnic minorities suffer with OCD at the exact same rates as their white counterparts. Yet, if you're black with OCD, especially in the UK, you're more likely to be misdiagnosed as psychotic because you present very uncommon symptoms. And I spoke to somebody else yesterday. I've created a WhatsApp group for um, my people to be able to just speak about OCD, to speak about it safely and properly and so much more. And she was saying she had been sectioned and they believed that she was psychotic as well. It's so common. It's so common for that to happen. But also as well, with everything that was happening, I realized that men don't speak up about their mental health. And I understand it, that there's a lot of fear. I was speaking to Stuart Ralph about this from the OCD stories. And we were saying that I think a lot of men are afraid to talk about their intrusive thoughts because society is going to judge them straight off the bat. And there's this underlying, there's, there's an undercurrent that I think all men are predators. There's this underlying current that all men are here to exact harm. And a lot of men have been terrified as a result. So I've had men reach out to me and say, I can't do what you're doing because everyone's just going to think I'm a predator and everyone's going to think I'm this kind of person. And I want to be able to encourage those open conversations where we can have those, we can have difficult conversations that can help better the world that we're living in. So I just made peace with the idea that people are going to judge me, but what are they going to do with their judgment, most importantly? Yeah. And I, I do feel like it's empowering when you put your voice out there. I think when you you said something, I'll have to go back. It was like a beautiful line that you just said about turning your pain into passion. And I think that that is, it's so cathartic and it's it helps other people, but it also, I think, helps you. And it takes the power away from OCD because you are not holding these secrets. You are not embarrassed or shameful. You're you're telling your story, which in inevitably helps other people because it's not just your story. Your story is other people's stories too. So you've done some brave things as far as a WhatsApp. (laughs) You're going to get bombarded. (laughs) I wonder how long you'll be able to maintain that. So um, how can people reach you? Because it seems like you're very accessible right now. 
Yeah, and there's times I do get burnt out, and I I strongly believe I have ADHD for sure because my hyper focus is ridiculous. I, I sometimes don't understand it myself, but I am really accessible, and I'm accessible because I was ignored. People ignored me when I was ill. Some people couldn't make time for me, which I absolutely understand. It's no, it's for no one, but. I keep myself accessible for people because I believe just having a conversation helps people so much. And I just want to be something different to the space. I, I know I might eventually be doing too much to be able to always give people my time, but at least that, what I can do now is try and set up some platforms and some spaces where people can do that. So people can find me on all social media at Deshaun Flores, so T-H-E-S-H-A-U-N-F-L-O-R-E-S. And I'm pretty much, yeah, um, you can find me via email, Find me on Natasha's platform here. Uh, obviously, I know you're gonna have your show notes. I know that's how you do your podcast. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a DM away. I'm an email message, whatever it might be. I'm, a, I'm here to open up. And as I said, when you speak about your story, you free yourself from being a prisoner to OCD. You let go of those shackles and you let go of those chains. And that's something I'm. It's, it's actually been an exposure for me, funnily enough, to tell my story. And to just let it free, to let it go, and to realize that potentially sharing my story is somebody else's healing. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing it on my platform and on my podcast. I really appreciate that. And it was so good to meet you. And I'm sure your work is just going to continue to take off. And and you're just such a great example of that. So I will put all of your contact information in the show notes because I think a lot of people are going to reach out to you because it's just so nice to be able to reach out to someone who gets it and has that understanding. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you so much. Isn't he inspiring? I hope you enjoyed that interview. I really did. You know, some sometimes, I mean, I don't have a lot of guests on. I have been having a lot of guests on lately. It just goes in cycles. I, I tend to like to talk to myself <laughs> when I do podcasts, but I am starting to like bringing in voices and stories onto the show. And some hit me more than others. And and his story and his passion, I think it was mainly his passion, was contagious. It just makes you want to do more and be more. And I hope that it did the same thing for you and maybe the teens and young adults that listen to this episode as well. So I will leave all of his contact information in the show notes. He is very accessible. I honestly don't know how long he'll be able to manage that because that's very giving of him. So his handle or his profile name. So if you go to Instagram, you can look him up at the Sean Flores. So that's T-H like the, and then Sean is spelled S-H-A-U-N. And his last name is Flores, F-L-O-R-E-S. I just wanted to say that again. I'll leave links in the show notes, but some of you aren't going to look at the show notes and I want you to have that. I'll also leave his WhatsApp number so that you can join the conversation and talk to him directly. So you can DM him. He's very accessible, which is a gift in and of itself. So check out the show notes for all that or check him out on Instagram and then you can DM him from there. And I hope that you found that helpful. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to review it. That really does help. If you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. I don't think I had any new ones since I recorded my last episode. So if you write one, I'll probably be reading yours next time. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.